surface appears to be uh, very, very fine-grained as you get close to it. It's almost like a powder down there. Uh, it's very fine. I'm going to step off the limb. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Oh, that looks beautiful for me. Father in heaven, as we think about this monumental moment, at least in our human standpoint, help us to see as a church and as individuals the difference a day can make. The day before, we could just find ourselves in a hopeless situation. The day after, you've changed our lives, becomes all new. The day before, we can find ourselves unfashioned and unmolded like that pot, like that clay. And just some time later, we can be changed and all new. Guide us to see clearly the difference a day can make. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1969, the world, and that was some of you guys here, I wasn't there, watched in amazement as, as this individual stepped on the moon for the first time. In that video clip there, you saw they were trying to reenact it from his standpoint, inside of his helmet, looking at the moon dust, taking one step and then eventually leaping and looking towards the world. And it's like from that point on, we began to, through our Hubble telescopes, through our space program, we began to see the world, this blue orb, almost like from God's point of view. You see this picture up on the screen there. You find, imagine being there on the moon. Imagine seeing the world from that point of view for the first time. Not in black and white, not like maybe how you watched it on TV, but there it is, your world. And you've traveled such a far distance to get there. And you've trained and prepared. And the day before, it had never happened, but the day, that day, it did happen. And what a difference that day made in our history we find that we've been fascinated with space ever since. Whereas before we could look up in the night sky and just see these small little dots in the sky, now we see even more from space, do we not? And so one day, what a difference it made. And here we are 45 years later. NASA, we find as a whole, has decided to scrap the shuttle program, but they still are continuing their mission of exploration, their mission of discovery, their mission but even though it has changed as far as the methodology of it, in essence, all they have done is realigned their resources to meet their goals. And so as I think of that experience, and I think a difference that that would have made, especially those of you who watched it for the first time, and how leading up to it, you have Kennedy talking about putting a man on the moon and all these historical events leading up to that day. I think of another monumental day in Earth's history, the one that we had our scripture reading about, but there was a lot of things leading up to that very day. That day when Jesus died on the cross. That time when he rested in the tomb of salvation. That day when he resurrected. There was a lot of events that led up to that day. And as I think of earth's history, and I think of these events that shape our history, some questions come to mind. Can we reach a place as individuals or as a church when we need to realign our goals? To re-look at them, to refocus and change our course, maybe, and perhaps. History shows a lot of events that have occurred and have changed in one day. Look at Genesis chapter 1. You can pull out your Bibles and begin to skim through them if you want. I put a summary on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, where you find in verse 1, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Imagine that. Before we find it was without form and void, but he speaks and begins to shape this world into what he wants it to be. The very words of God shaping and changing history. Wouldn't you say that's a monumental moment of history? The day before, you find it's formless and void and lifeless. The day after, and day one, evening and morning, day one, you find a total change has occurred. Light has come. And you go on down through that day one, day two, day three. It keeps on building. Get down to Genesis chapter 2, and you find it being described there. In verse 1, the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, verse 2, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Imagine that. A weekly reminder of the power of God. A weekly reminder that history can change in a short period of time. A weekly reminder that we are on a collision course on planet Earth with the God of the universe. This world will change. It will become like it was before. And so you go from Genesis all the way down to Revelation and you see the difference a day can make. Go down to Genesis chapter 3. You find the fall of mankind. And we looked at this in our oneness series months ago. How there they were, united with God, in perfect oneness, it was severed. And yet, you find in Genesis chapter 3 a promise. You find a really dismal day, but that day doesn't end that way. That day continues with a promise that says, yes, you've fallen, yes, you've walked away from me, but I will not leave you alone. You are of eternal value to me. And what promise does he give? He says, I'm going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent and at the same time be wounded. And that's Jesus Christ. So what a difference that day was. Yes, it was dismal. But yet in a short period of time, God provides hope. Go on down and just skim through your Old Testament. I'm not going to go to every chapter, but in Exodus you find, for instance, the Passover night, the night before they leave Egypt. Wouldn't you say the state of Israel before they left Egypt was not a desirable one? And so that very night, when death and the cry of the night rings out, and the blood of the Lamb is shielding their family from death, what a difference it was the day after the Passover when they left and literally plundered the Egyptians. Leviticus, go on down to there, rites and rituals that point us, each one of those rituals point us in some way you need to explore it some way to Jesus. Some people say, well, how is that so? Think about the cleansing of the leper. I've pointed it to you several times, and eventually I'm going to unpack it for you in a sermon. But imagine that, someone having a new start where they were outside the camp, they were healed somehow, and now they're ushered back into the camp with the death of one bird and then another bird going free. Freedom. Rites and rituals pointing to a new start in Leviticus. You go all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures. We call it the Old Testament. It's really not accurate. Hebrew, Aramaic scriptures. And you find story after story. Think about Daniel, for instance, in Daniel chapter 9, when he figured out that the time was at hand for them to leave Babylon and go back to their homeland. Imagine the day before they actually took that journey. Imagine the packing and the preparations and all of that. And then they take that journey there and they get to the ruins. What a difference it can make in a short period of time. You go on down through the Scriptures and you find prophet after prophet points out that soon and very soon there will come a day when this world will be transformed and what a difference that day will make. 
You get to the New Testament, which is where we're going for our scripture here this morning. And those Greek scriptures ring out with changes. Changes that can occur in a short period of time. Changes that are even beyond space exploration programs. Changes that are beyond science. Changes that we find that are amazing. Go to AD 31, Earth's history. We go on over to that part of the world, to that geography, down over to Jerusalem area, and we find something has taken place of monumental importance. A well-loved teacher and healer, they have brutally killed him after a mock trial. They have put his, his body's been placed into a tomb. It appears that the group that was around him is scattered. And that ragtag bunch of disciples is going to be scattered and, dis, and just totally disintegrated. Jesus called them his church. And it appears that the church is in jeopardy, does it not? There he has died. We find we have that timeline in the Gospel of Luke. He's died on the preparation on that Friday. He's rested in the tomb on that Sabbath, resting in a completed work of salvation. Sabbath from that point on isn't just pointing back to creation. It's pointing to Jesus Christ and how he died for us and was in the tomb on the Sabbath. So every week we celebrate the creation, the new creation in Jesus, and then the new creation that's coming after he comes the second time. And so they don't have that, though. They don't have the ability to look back. They're right there in the middle of it, of a disappointment of their own kind. And as we look there, there's a nice word, but. Luke 24, verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible if you want. I'll put it up on the screen as well. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week. Interesting Greek phrase, miatone, sabatone. So you know it's not the Sabbath because it's miatone, sabbatone. It's the first of the week or the first after the Sabbath. So this day after the Sabbath has come. And now as this new week begins, back there, at early dawn, they come into the tomb. They are bringing the spices which they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And Matthew's Gospel says there's an angel sitting on the stone. Christ now reigns over death, like a king sitting upon his throne. And so the Sabbath takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? He's, not, he's rested from saving us every week. Friday night comes, we put aside our work, our busyness, we gather our families, or like last night, we gather here as a family, and we usher in the Sabbath, resting in Jesus' work, completed work of salvation. Now, we do find in, in the sacrificial system you had beyond the sacrifice there was things that have to be done but every week we remember the sacrifice of jesus and here we find an amazing statement the angel comes and says he's not here he's risen verse 6 and verses 8 to 9 remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in galilee can you imagine you're right there in the middle of it you know how sometimes you're going through a troublesome time and somebody has well let's just call it this way a pat answer for you like Here's the, here's, here's the Bible, and they seem like they're thumping it at you. Well, this is not what the angel's doing. This is a culture that is brought up into this understanding and knowledge, and they are looking for answers. They're wondering it. They're not just saying, oh yeah, you gave me a little nice answer. It makes me feel good, but, but really, I'm still confused. They're touching the disciples' need right where it needs to be touched. They're right there in the midst of it saying, you're trying to figure this all out, and Jesus is the answer. Remember when he spoke to you? A while back in Galilee? What did he say? 
gave them the promise, did he not, that he would rise on the third day? And it says they remembered his words, the words of Jesus, and returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven, to all the rest. They just could not contain it. It, It's like everything, all the pieces were put together right there for them. The angel points them to Jesus, the words of Jesus, which all true teachers and apostles and angelic beings will point you to the word of God. And they remember the word of God and are comforted. And they are excited because now Jesus isn't dead. He's arisen. And an angel has testified to this. And the tomb testifies to it. And the words testify to it. And they go forth sharing it everywhere. And so we come to our key texts. And our young people, you have your sheet there. Luke 24. It's actually the same as your scripture reading, young people, if you recognize that. You have the same answer on two of your sheets. Two answers on your sheet are the same. Luke 24, 45 through 51. Luke 24, 45 through 51. You can start at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. How much testifies of Christ? Look at that. Every time you're reading from Genesis to Leviticus, it all testifies of Christ. So you better be looking through the lens of that as you're going through it. You go on down through the prophets and the rest of historical literature, you find it all testifies of Christ. So look for him in all of that. Look for him in the story when they are there and you find there's no mention of God in Esther, but there are mentions of providences of God in Esther. Look for Jesus in that. All the way down, he's saying it testifies. Look at Isaiah 53, the slain lamb. It all testifies of Jesus. Look at the story of Cyrus called the anointed one, the shepherd, the king from the east. Doesn't that testify to somebody? Who's the greater shepherd? Who's really the anointed one? Who's the true king from the east at the end of time? It's Jesus. And so you find every one of these stories, he's saying, pointed to him. And we're not privy to every Bible study that Jesus gave them, but he's reminding them, remember, everything testifies. Verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might not comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, look, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you are endued with power from on high. All right, young people, do you have that written down? All right, good. And so if you take analysis of this text here, I'm going to point out a couple of things. We don't have time for all of them. But notice this preaching would begin right there from where they are at, beginning from Jerusalem. It would branch out, eventually going to where? All nations. Huh, where have we heard that before? Where have we heard it again? Revelation 14, right? And you also find Matthew 28. This message will go to all the world, Jesus said in Matthew 24, and then the end will come. And it says, you're witnesses of these things, but you think you're just going to jump out there and do it yourself? There's no do-it-yourself witnessing manual that really is going to be effective apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You can learn all the methods, and I've got a binder that thick in my office at home. 
and it can take you through everything. How to do announcements during a series of meetings, how to do this, how to greet, how, it goes through everything. But I tell you what, that manual is useless apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. We may point someone in the right direction, but the Holy Spirit is the one who we need to convict hearts. And so it says, you will receive power from on high. You are to wait before you go preaching, before you go and share. You are to wait. And then Jesus has, historically, a flight way past the moon and other places of space before Neil Armstrong, before the rest even endeavored to have a costly, expensive space program, Jesus goes and begins to go right up in front of their eyes. Now, we have history before that, Moses and others who've gone up before, but here Jesus is, eventually going through to the very throne of God, which some believe is over by Orion. And so, differences of that day. Before that day, before Jesus, the message of his resurrection was there, there was little hope. The band could have easily disbanded. They could have easily gone through a state of disappointment and walked away from faith. We know one of them did, Judas himself. And so the day before that, there was little hope. But the day after that, there was hope, wasn't there? The day before that, their goals, their purpose, their mission, it was all muddied in their minds. It was not clear, and it was in jeopardy. But the day after that, we find when Jesus is resurrected, after that, they refocus on their mission. Jesus himself teaches them and guides them. And in response to their prayers, he provides provision, the Holy Spirit. And what a difference that day made when he visited them. We talked about the community of oneness. We talked about in the book of Acts a while back how this community of faith, the church, even in its smallest unit of maybe 12 people, is the threat to the devil. How if they're united together in prayer, the Holy Spirit will be poured out in response to the prayer. Do you realize every two or three of you who are gathered together, Jesus says, I'm right there in your midst. Do you know what that really means? That means it's almost like, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, you're coming into the throne room of heaven with a united petition. Satan cannot thwart that. Because things are established in the Bible by two or three witnesses, right? And so two or three of you unite together in oneness, unite together and say, we're going to be remaining together in mission and purpose. Send your Holy Spirit upon us. The only thing that's going to hinder that prayer is if he divides you. Because heaven will honor that request as a delegation of two or three, or even more of you come before him. And so right now we've appointed meetings. We had Landmarks of Prophecy start last night. Remain united. Remain in prayer. Because if he can divide your group, then people will have trouble making decisions at these meetings. He will do everything he can to cause confusion and division amongst you. Remain united with your mission in mind. Now we pull up Matthew 28, 19-20. Go ye therefore make disciples of how many nations? That includes these areas like last night we looked at where ISIS is, are at, where we find in Iraq, where Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, that is an area that God is going to reach before it's all said and done. Whether he uses human beings, angels, dreams, media, whatever he's going to, it's going to take, he's going to reach those areas. How much more wonderful if he uses some of us to do some of that. And so all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that's that oneness concept. They're baptized into one, one with God teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the world. Amazing, the commandments are mentioned there in reference to the end of the world. Did you guys catch that last night at Landmarks? Where he was talking about there's this rock and he tied it back to the, which the rock that comes in Daniel 2 is without human hands. And I had heard this before, but it just struck me last night again. Without human hands, it comes and ushers in a new kingdom, new way of thinking. And he says that is like the Ten Commandments, cut without human hands. God himself did that. And it's linked to the end of the world. God's going to restore that, that focus on him, that focus on worshiping him fully and loving each other before the world ends. And so you find it right here as well in the Great Commission. We call this a mission, right? A mission statement, if you will. First Christian mission statement. I actually find Christ at his, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointed me to bring good news to the poor and all of this. You find the good news message is their mission statement. So they were to wait and they were to fulfill this very mission in Matthew 28. Do you think they did to the best of their ability? Yeah, or you wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be standing here. Uh, do you realize that years ago, and this is amazing to see how this works, my great-uncle passed away a little, uh, little bit ago, and I remember before he passed away, I was talking to him. He, goes to the wall, he used to go to the Walla Walla uh, City Church, and as he was there on the phone, he described to me how years ago, back when the train would come through that area, one of his relatives, I think it was his great-great-grandfather, which would be a little ways back for me, was right there when people would get off the train handing out literature. And it was, the strangest thing is, is that if you go down through time, he did the same thing. My grandfather did the same thing. It was an invitation to a downlink meeting like we have here that really brought my brother into the church for my grandfather. There he is handing my brother, hey, you might be interested in this. It's amazing to see how it's passed on down, how it's been fulfilled in different ways by different people, but we're all here because of somebody who took this seriously. And so we want to wait and ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to focus on our mission. Our Adventist church says that our mission is to proclaim to all people the everlasting gospel in the context of the three angels' message of Revelation 14. Worshiping God and the Creator, right? The commission of Jesus compels us to lead others to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and to unite with His church and nurture them in preparation for His soon return. We looked at this mission statement when we were doing our Vision Quest sessions. We looked at the Gospel Commission as we were doing our Vision Quest sessions. And we began to develop our own mission statement. But what's interesting is 151 years from the time that our church was founded, aren't we still accomplishing that mission statement today? We still are. Here we are. And I think if you look at each step that our church has taken, it may appear small at first, but it has become a giant leap for the gospel. So at Anderson, we decided to follow a similar model. Your elders and I met. I described to them my doctoral project that I wanted to do here at the church. At the interview, when they interviewed us, I felt like, wow, this almost is what my project is what they might need as a church. And then the elders and I met after you guys extended the call to me, and we prayed about it, and we said, yeah, let's introduce this to the board. And so we introduced a process to your church that said, okay, let's spend time in prayer. Let's assess the health of our church. Let's then meet and biblically understand where we've been and where we want to go as a church. And so we did that. We did our 10 days of prayer. Our oneness sermons were leading up to it. 
We evaluated our health, which some of you did that on the tablets. We then spent Sabbath afternoons from September 20 through October 11 in what we called Vision Quest. We were seeking God's vision. Be thou my vision, God. Give us a clear direction as to where we should go. Out of that, we developed a mission and vision statement. And you'll find in your bulletin a nice handy bookmark that is there. And that bookmark, and in the front of your bulletin, if you notice the front of your bulletin had a picture of the second coming, it said the mission of the Anderson Seventh-day Adventist Church, here it is, declaring to each individual their eternal value in Jesus and preparing them for his soon return. Isn't that exactly almost some of the wording we saw in those other two mission statements? Each one of us is of eternal value. Each one of us is important. And if, we're all, if people are important to God, then we should then help prepare them for his soon return. And that's what that bookmark also has there as well. And you look at that bookmark, and on the back, it has a vision statement. And we're still working on this, so give us some time if we need to rewrite some of these things. The mission statement is pretty much what you read. It's, it's well written. It was voted on in a ballot format. The vision says, we see ourselves continually promoting oneness, prayer, and the empowerment of leaders in our church so that we become people who embody our mission. We want to be people who really see our value and other people's value and are preparing one another for the soon return. So we want to embody that. Additionally, we will use Christ's method to declare to each person their eternal value in Jesus. This is on the back of the bookmark. And prepare them for a soon return. Specifically, we see ourselves, one, becoming acquainted with and identifying the needs of the Anderson and surrounding communities. We are not satisfied with just reaching Anderson. It's, it's probably high time for us to retake this whole valley. Because the angels of darkness already have stake on this valley. And so we cannot just remain here in Anderson. We've got to think beyond that. Number two, winning the confidence of the community by meeting the needs we become aware of through education, ministries, and service. That's going to take on a whole, whole bunch of discussion and brainstorming. But we want to see the needs, then we want to meet the needs. Then three, once you meet the needs, then you invite many to follow Jesus through the use of house groups, and ministries in the Anderson and surrounding areas. That could also include uh, public evangelism meetings like we're doing. And four, this results in us being known as a nurturing, welcoming congregation that brings together the generations in an environment where they all feel they belong. If we're all of eternal value, then we should all at some point feel like we belong. This building will not last forever. These opportunities we have now will not be here. It's for a limited time. And so we want to use what we have for God's glory and invite people here and to the other places before the end comes. And so you're going to see those type of things in the sanctuary, which is over here. Our mission statement, came; we got it up uh, in a banner form. In the bulletin, you'll find it in the bulletin every week. The mission statement will be in there. You'll see it in the Connections newsletter every week. You'll see it online, like our website. Now, this took a little time to do hard to grab and paste uh, your website into PowerPoint. So piece by piece, here it is. So you go onto the website, anderson.avenusfaith.org, you're going to see Jesus over a world. Why is he doing that? He died for the whole world. Each one is of eternal value to Christ. And so if someone comes to your homepage, they'll see you are of eternal value to us and Jesus. Christ died for them. He wants them to be prepared. And then you'll see the Right there, right above the picture of your church will be your mission, is your mission statement already. You've got all the links on the left-hand side. You see the Landmarks of Prophecy banner on the webpage. But the whole focus is on Jesus. 
how he wants them to be prepared, how they are of eternal value, and how that's about, we're going to be about our Father's business of preparing people for his soon return. And so it'll be on your website as well. And I, you might ask, okay, what else? You know, that's nice. You got, did an unveiling today. You showed us these things. Well, throughout the year, you want to have times where you proclaim this message. Then you want to, Most churches who are very serious about it at least have a yearly time where we can all invite our friends to a place where they can hear about the message of Jesus. So you'll be seeing that. Right now it's Landmarks of Prophecy. Next fall, the board has asked me to do Revelation of Hope, a chapter by chapter through Revelation, so that'll be next fall. Planning is going on for all those things in the vision statement. We're going to plot them in a five-year plan, and eventually you'll see that. And then we'll assess our progress. You know, at the end, roughly in 2016, of a year and a half, I can't do a five-year project, otherwise I will never get my doctorate written. So a year and a half into it, they want me to do another assessment with you to see how you feel about your church, and then I eventually begin reporting it. But after a few years after that, we should assess and review where we've gone. And every year we'll have some kind of buildup saying here's where we've gone this year. But in five years, we need to review it and then eventually maybe even say, okay, now that we've been in this process of fulfilling God's mission, what are our values? Anyway? What, what do we notice we've been doing in the last five years that we, shows what we really value as a church? We could try to write them right now. But as I look at your health assessment, you're kind of deflated as far as your viewpoint. It's, I mean, there, there's some really low scores. And if some of those come up and you start doing things that you maybe used to do, your values will change. You'll see that you're spending more time in prayer, more time in this, more time in that. So why not wait until we're at that stage first? And so yearly, we're going to be having, especially in January, a prayer focus of 10 days. It's already scheduled for January 7. So every year we're going to focus start the year off focusing on Christ, asking for him to keep on leading us as a church, taking reports and showing where we've been and where we're going. And so you'll keep hearing sermons like this every once in a while. And so I believe that helps us move forward as a church. Because organizations come and go. NASA, for instance, may have changed its course of action, may have gotten rid of the shuttle program, but they are not done yet, are they? They're constantly reviewing, constantly evaluating, constantly saying, how can we do things better? And where are we going? And it takes lots of steps to get there. And so as I find NASA, even if NASA was to phase out of existence, which it won't, because we have this fascination with Mars now, the church will never phase out. The church has endured times of which if you lived in them, some of you and I would have maybe even thought about giving up the faith. Dark ages. And yet here the church is still here. The church is going to endure. Whatever crisis comes to this nation and to this world, it will endure. It may have to adapt, but it will endure to fulfill the mission of Christ. And so I thought of a video clip to cap this off. I believe that this nation should commit itself achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. We propose to accelerate the development of the Post control, both auto, and command override off. 
Those of you who actually saw that when it happened were more familiar with that side of the clip than the one that we had at the beginning. NASA says that the end of the space shuttle program does not mean the end of NASA, or even of NASA sending humans to space. NASA has a robust program of exploration, technology development, and scientific research that will last for years to come. They themselves, if you remember that video clip there, invested a lot of time, money, and sacrifice to even get people there. What about us? Are we doing the same thing for our mission? Our mission is going to be space exploration and going to places we never even dreamed of before. Why not grab as many people as we can to join us in that journey? I decided to use a song that we had used before. It's called We Have This Hope. And, you know, we could choose other songs in the future, but I wanted to take this song and in three verses take us from, yeah, we're focusing on the coming of Christ, but while we're focusing on Christ, we're united. And while we're united, we're going to fulfill the mission here in South County, South Shasta County. And so the first two verses are going to be right out of your hymnal, and they'll be on the screen as well. But the third verse I wrote specifically to encapsulate and to put your mission statement to a song. And maybe I'll have some more time to, to come up with a new song after this. But the first verse, we have this hope. The second verse, we are united. This third verse, we are declaring that mission statement over there will be in this, the third verse. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. If you want to join me in this mission, let's sing this song together and, and ask the Lord to help us accomplish this mission before he returns. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of His Word. We believe the time is here when the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing Hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this hope that burns within our hearts hope in the coming of the Lord we are united in Jesus Christ our Lord we are united in his love Love for the waiting people of the world, people who need our Savior's love. Soon the heavens will open wide, 
Christ will come to claim his bride. All the universe will sing. Hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this hope, this faith, and God's great love. We are united in Christ. We are declaring to each individual, you have the promise of His Word. The promise your worth is eternal. Spend eternity with the Lord. We declare to South County, Jesus' return is soon to be. Come, unite, prepare, and sing. Hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Father in heaven, we pray you'll guide us to fulfill our mission, not only in our lives and our families, but here in our church, our community, in South County, all the way in this North State and beyond. Until you come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.